Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 28 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. Um, so uh, uh, if you have any questions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Now, without any further ado, let's start with our topic today, which is what is Quran? So a lot of people, a lot of non-Muslims and a lot of Muslims pretty much know what a Quran is in terms of like, you know, description. It's it's a book that Muslims, um, it's the Bible for the Muslims, basically, right? It's uh, where Muslims, uh, you know, get their knowledge about Islam. But uh, this is all true. But what is it exactly? What's the circumstances where the Quran was revealed? You know, what is the authority of the Quran uh, upon us? Uh, and where did it come from? And how do we know that it wasn't corrupted, right? Because, you know, we know that uh, people started editing the Bible and doing their own versions of the Bible. And that's why we have so many versions of the Bible. So why is it not the case with Quran? We're going to answer, inshallah, all these questions in today's episode. And I would like to put the Quran and under the, 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 you know, like a more general title, which is the sources of Islam. Because we need a source for our religion, right? Any religion, any religion, anything needs a source. It has to be a source, there has to be a destination for almost everything, right? We as human beings, we have sources, right? We came from our parents, and our parents came from their parents, and all the way back to Adam and Eve, that's our source. Our destination is to be buried, to die in our graves. Everything in the world has a source and has a destination, and the religion is no difference. The religion source, we know ultimately comes from Allah, comes from God, and the destination of the religion is when the day of judgment comes. That's when the religion will disappear. And there will be, you know, we'll all be held accountable about what we did with our religion. Did we actually do what we were supposed to do with our religion? Or we were slacking. Or we were just living this life, having a happy life, and not caring about a thing in the world. Not caring about what should we do. Should we pray? Should we not pray? Should we fast? Should we do this? Should we treat each other you know, should we treat one another in a good manner? Should we be good to our parents, even if they were bad to us? Should we, should we, should we? And if we ignore these questions, then trust me, we failed the test that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. And this is a test that you truly do not want to fail because once you die, there's no makeup. You cannot make up that test once you die. Once you die, your deeds end with you. Except for three, we're going to get to that later. But once you die, it's done. You have to understand that you have a limited amount of time on this earth, in this life, to do what's right, to do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what God has commanded us to do. That's it. That's why people who enjoy life to the fullest, you know there's a problem. There's something going on here that's not right. Now, that doesn't mean that... To be a believer, you shouldn't enjoy life. Actually, alhamdulillah, I want to believe that I'm enjoying life as much as I can. There are restrictions? Absolutely. I abide by those restrictions that were given to us by Allah. There are things that are encouraged that you can get out of your comfort zone once in a while? Yes, absolutely. But that that's what makes it beautiful. That you could do whatever you want. I mean, in a halal way, right? In a permissible way. Not, you know, you do not do haram things. You do not know forbid. You do not do forbidden things in life. That's how you enjoy life from a Muslim perspective. And you prevent yourself from doing certain things. That's the beauty of it. 
you know, the Prophet ﷺ, our Prophet said in a beautiful hadith, you know what he said? He said, this life is a prison for the believer and only the believer. And it's a paradise for the disbeliever. What is that supposed to mean? Well, think about it. The believer who lives in this life, yes, they enjoy as much as you can in a halal way, but at the same time, there are certain things that you cannot do as a believer. Like what? Like committing zina, like having sex before marriage or premarital marital sex, committing adultery. Oh, it's great. Oh my God, you know. No, but we can't because we're believers. It's forbidden. Drink alcohol and have fun at the bar. We can't do that. It, come on. <laughs> you know, we're more disciplined than this. You know, have this, do that, you know, um, you know, deal in usury, interest rates. No, we can't. We are. We cannot deal in interest because this is a big, big major sin that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us about and warned us from. Um, okay, uh, let's say, uh, what? Eating any type of food. Not the bihaf, not halal food, you know, the, the Muslim kind of cut meat type of food. Yeah, I only eat halal food because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us that if we don't eat, if, if it's not halal, do not eat it. Allah says, if the food has not been slaughtered according to the Islamic uh, ruling and the name of Allah is mentioned, and that goes to kosher too. So where Muslims are allowed to eat kosher food, just for those of you who do not know, if it says kosher, we're allowed to eat it. If it's not kosher, we cannot assume that any type of other any other type of food but halal and kosher will be from the people of the book. So in a nutshell, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us the people of the food of the people of the book. We talked about this before. The people of the book are the Christians and the Jews. Is okay for us to eat the meats, right? The thing is, if it's kosher, you know it's from the people of the book. Unfortunately, if it's not kosher and it's not halal, you don't know that it's a Christian type of food. Why? Because it's the food processing has been handled by certain corporations and they don't actually slaughter the animals. Sometimes they kill the animal before they start, you know, cutting the meat and whatever. Like they electrocute them, they, they shoot them, you know, hunting and whatever. Actually, a mita, this is a type of meat that we are not allowed to eat. A Muslim cannot eat, cannot eat a dead animal's meat that wasn't slaughtered. So if the animal dies before slaughtering, we cannot eat it. If the name of Allah, God, even in the, even based on the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, has to be said while cutting, slaughtering the animal, that's the only way we can eat meat. The problem is, we know for sure when they say it's kosher, that they say that. The name of Elohai or, you know, uh, 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 the name of Allah in a, in a, uh, you know, in a, in a certain way. And for halal food, it's the same. But then when it's not labeled as Christian kind of meat or cut meat, then you, there's a huge, this is actually the majority is they don't do it based on the Christian faith. They just it's, it's a corporation that's doing it. In this case, we cannot eat that type of meat. Again, I know that was a tangent, but I wanted to tell you like, again, a Muslim or a believer should be restricting themselves based on what Allah had told us to do. And trust me, the halal food, the kosher food, it tastes beautiful. If, if none of you had a kosher or a halal meat, please try it. It tastes so much better. And I had non-Muslims telling me how good the meat tastes when it's halal. And again, it's healthier and there's 
again, a wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants the animal, you know, to die like a clean death, number one, and the meat will be purified from its blood, number two, hence it tastes good. And again, it's what Allah told us, so we have to follow. Now, so again, this life with all the restrictions you put on yourself becomes kind of prison in a good way. Because you know that you're doing the right thing. And when you know you're doing the right thing, it has this, subhanAllah, such a satisfying, uh, you know, kind of feeling to it. And again, once you do these things, you won't find yourself depressed. I bet you, like, once you keep doing things, restricting yourself from doing things because, you know, you want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this is your purpose. Pleasing Allah. Your purpose is becomes in this life pleasing God, pre- pleasing your Lord. And that actually battles depression, battles people who have who don't know where they're living for. Why am I here? What am I doing? I have this emptiness in me. No. Once you know that you live to please your creator, you live to pass the test, and there will be tests in this life, then you know for sure, inshallah, that you're going to have a beautiful life because you know your purpose. Now, that brings me back to the topic of, okay, so now how do we know what's good and what's not? Okay, you're telling us to live by some guidebook. Okay, so is it the Qur'an? Well, actually, Qur'an is one of three, believe it or not. So when we talk about the sources of Islam, what is the source of Islam? It's actually three sources. So number one is the Qur'an. Number two is the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And again, the word sunnah means the way of the Prophet wasallam, And number three becomes the consensus. So the consensus basically is when there's something that was never addressed, some bizarre situation that happens in our time that was never addressed in the Quran, even though most, the overwhelming majority of situations or of things happening in our lifetime is mentioned in the Quran or in the sunnah in a way. But let's say you couldn't find them, then you do something called consensus, which is basically you take the ruling of the majority of the scholars, the well-respected scholars of Islam regarding this. And this is something they already probably have addressed for things that haven't been addressed in Quran and Sunnah. So that's what it is. Number one, the source number one is the Quran. The second source is our Sunnah. The third source is the consensus. Now, plus all these, you need to use your intellect. Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't tell you do not use your mind. Actually, that's the opposite. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps asking us in the Quran continuously to use our intellect, to use our brains. Don't they, can they just use their brains? This is Allah's telling us, you know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps asking, don't you see I created you from nothing? You know. Uh, 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 in the Quran, there's so many verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us and asks us to use our intellect. You know, and also like, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, can't they see how I created animals? can they see how I lifted the sky? You know, can they see how I created the oceans and the seas and, and the mountains? I just put them in a very steady way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps asking us and asking us to use our intellect. But here's the big problem. When we try to use our intellect, we try to feed everything about it. So we try to say, uh, 
Yeah, but let me question the religion now since you asked me to use my intellect. Well, and I'm about to get to that in a little bit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes, told us to use our intellect. But you cannot use your intellect with something that you cannot fully understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Allah is telling us, okay, look at the world and tell me, does it have a creator or not? It, it's impossible for you to say it does not. Because this is a basic logical you know, thing to think about. So if you use the same intellect to challenge something, Allah, the one who gave you the intellect in the first place, to challenge Allah's words, Allah's book, then you don't know what you're talking about. You're actually being so arrogant. One of the things that people use do is that you, they use analogy when it comes to the, to the religion of Islam. So for example, I'll give you an example. When you, uh, I remember I was witnessing one of the debates with between a Muslim and a Christian, and the Christian said, well, they said this, to prove that you know Allah has a son. Uh, subhanallah And they said Isn't Allah capable of anything That was the, the basically the, the challenging point Isn't Allah your Lord Isn't God capable of anything And then the Muslim said yes And they say well Then that means He can drink He can eat He can transform into a human flesh You know go into a human flesh He can have sons if he wanted to So what's the problem that was the argument. What is the problem? God is capable of anything. That means he's capable of having sons. And to that point, we say, uh, unfortunately, you're absolutely wrong because of one thing, respectfully, of course. Allah, yes, is capable of anything. But we cannot use analogy with Allah. We cannot use analogy with the religion. Because in order for us to say that Allah does something, Allah himself has to tell us that he done it. In order for us to say this, this means that in a religion, that means we needed to have it from a source. Whether Allah told us in the Quran or the Prophet ﷺ told us in the Sunnah or it was in the consensus, the three sources. You cannot come up with your own analogy based on nothing or based on a theory that you had in mind or based on whatever you thought it was based on. You know what I mean? So this is the definition of arrogance. When it comes to the religion, when it comes to God, when it comes to his prophets, you need you need the sources of the religion. You cannot derive your own analogy. You cannot have your own analogy and you say, well, if Allah is capable of anything, he sure can is capable of having a human son or whatever, a full human and a full God son. No. Allah has to be the one to tell you this. Why? Because in order for you to use analogy on something, you must understand it 100%. You must understand that thing a hundred percent. Do you? Do you understand the religion hundred percent? There is no way. Because Allah kept things from you and given you what you needed to know to survive this world, to live and die. That's what Allah has given you. Enough for you to pass the test of this life. Enough for you to die a good death. That's it. Allah didn't give you all the secrets of the universe. Allah didn't give you all the secrets of the religion. No, none of that is true. So you assuming that you know everything about the religion is a mistake and it's a mistake by only you. 
Do you understand? And Allah actually tells us in the Quran, وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You only had a little bit of knowledge about anything. You have no vast knowledge about anything. You don't. Only Allah does. And He given us enough intellect, enough information to live by. That's it. To survive this test, to pass it. That's all. For, and for you to think you have more knowledge now to challenge Allah Himself, to say stuff about Allah or about the religion that you just derived by your own, you know, intellect or your own analogy, yeah, you're that. That makes that means you are an arrogant person. That means you truly do not understand any of what Allah has told us in the Quran nor the Sunnah. You truly don't. Now, what is the Quran? So let's talk about the Quran now and what is is the Quran exactly? Well, we said that the Quran is the number one source of the religion and it is basically the speech of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Quran, spoke it to who? To angel Gabriel or Gabriel. And angel Gabriel gave it, told it or spoke it the same way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken it to him. To our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Quran is not, was at the beginning it wasn't just a book. Actually it was not a book at all. It was just a speech. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the companions started writing it down to preserve it. You know, to keep it for us. And generations after and generations after to, you know, preserve and understand and fully, I mean, and try to fully comprehend. Now, so again, it was the speech of Allah. Allah told it to Gabriel or Gabriel. Gabriel told it to our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, um, also, one of the things about Quran is that it parts of it must be recited during our prayers. So we talked about last time that Muslims pray five times a day. So in every prayer, we have to say certain parts of the Quran. And the, actually, there's a mandatory chapter that we have to say, which is a very short chapter in every rak'ah. And we talked about what is a rak'ah before, and I think when it comes to the in the episode of the you know Islamic prayers, the five daily prayers. The, uh, so in every rak'ah, in every prayer, we have to recite the Surah Al-Fatiha or the first chapter of the Quran. It's actually mandatory, and without it, your prayer does not count if you don't say it. Also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenges all of the humans. And all of the jinn, and we'll talk about what, what is the jinn to come up with something similar to its shortest verse. So, there are verses in the Quran. We know that, right? So, Quran is, is made of chapters, and every chapter is made of, uh, of verses, right? So, you have a tiny verse that literally could be three words. Could be actually be one word. <laughs> so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has challenged all of mankind. In the Quran, by the way. And all of the jinn. The jinn is a, a different species that were created. And from it comes Satan. That's why Muslims do not believe that Satan is a fallen angel. Because like we said before, angels do not disobey Allah in any way. They do not fall. They do not go rogue. Angels are always pure and they will never be otherwise. Because Allah created them this way. But Satan comes from a race called the jinn. 
which is a race that basically has most like majority of the all the devils and 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 satan and his all of his followers come from that race but there are some good jinn as well and we're gonna definitely talk about this uh, in inshallah future episodes are gonna dedicate uh, maybe actually a couple of episodes talking about everything related to the jinn um so the jinn j-i-n-n these are uh, they make mistakes like humans they they sin like humans that's why they are like humans unlike angels who do not um, you know make any of these things so allah challenged humans and jinn bring me a verse like that like any verse that i've created in the same context in the same meaning and everything because by the way anything is written in the quran is not random or it's not to make something beautiful and that's it. Every little word has a meaning and a deep meaning because it was it was word that was said by who? By the one who created this entire existence. So subhanAllah. Um, now, every prophet comes with a book or messenger, let's say, not prophet. Every messenger who comes in you know, with the new rulings and new commands from Allah, and new basically Sharia or no religion, they come with their own book. And every prophet comes with a miracle. We all know that. Every single prophet comes with a miracle by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah provides prophets with miracles so people would understand that this is not normal. These are not crazy people talking and, you know, trying to call them to nothing. So people can understand, oh, like Moses, his miracle was what? His staff that turned into a live snake. And then what what other miracle was the splitting of the sea when the Pharaoh was, you know, chasing after him? These are all miracles. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. What was his miracle? His miracle was what? Curing the blind, resurrecting the dead by a command from Allah. Allah is the one who resurrects. But he made it come go through Jesus Christ. Curing the leper, doing all these things. Because it was a miracle that Allah has given Jesus Christ so people could follow him, could know that he is a messenger from Allah. Speaking in a cradle was another crazy miracle by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given to Jesus Christ. So people could follow him, could know that this is not a normal human being, this is a messenger of Allah. You know, uh, Jonah, Eunice, what? He was in the stomach or the belly of the whale for three nights or three days. Alive and well. You know, Yusuf, Joseph, Prophet, uh, Prophet Yusuf, he had a beauty that no one, and he could, you know, uh, interpret dreams and, you know, see into, you know, certain, you know, um, visions and whatnot. Every single prophet came with a miracle. Now, our Prophet Muhammad وسلم, what was his miracle? Some could say, well, it's the splitting of the moon because during the times of the Prophet وسلم, when he was trying to call some of the disbelievers to, you know, some of the people of Quraysh to Islam, they said, well, you know what? You want us to believe you that you come, you're a messenger of Allah? Make Allah split the moon for us. And it happened. And many, they didn't believe. It could be many things. It could be, you know, the stomp that talked to the, the, the you know, that piece of tree that was crying when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, it was like a beautiful, we can actually have a full episode about the miracles, the physical miracles of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that one time he was, 
giving a sermon and he always used to sit on this uh, stump or like the piece of a tree and give the sermon. But one time a carpenter like decided to, you know, make a nice decent chair or a seat for him and to get rid of the, you know, that tree, that piece of tree. When this happened, everybody started hearing crying during the sermon. This was witnessed by everyone. And then people were like, what's that? Who's crying? And it was like really deep crying. It was like, you know. So everybody looked around and lo and behold, the Prophet ﷺ came down from his, you know, chair or seat and went to that piece of tree that they put it on the side after, you know, they removed it. And it was crying. It was so upset that the Prophet ﷺ is not sitting on it anymore. And the Prophet ﷺ gave it a hug and it stopped crying. Can you believe this? This actually happened. This is recorded in history, you know, in our Sira history. So there are so many miracles, physical miracles that you could pinpoint. But because Islam is the final religion, because our Prophet ﷺ was the final messenger, there had to be a miracle that is eternal. There had to be a miracle that people, because I could tell you the story of the tree and you can be like, oh yeah, it's a cute story, but you know, I don't believe it. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Right? You could say that. You know, the Moses thing. Well, yeah, it's a nice story. I don't believe it. I, I didn't see it. You know? But because Islam is the final religion, Allah did not want to give us a miracle that people could debate about it and say, oh, well, yeah, people say this happened, but did it really happen? You know what I'm saying? So Allah given us what? Given the Prophet ﷺ an eternal miracle, the Quran. You don't believe me? The Quran is still here. And it will still be here after, long after we're die. We, we're dead. It'll be here until the day of judgment. And this was Allah's promise to the Prophet ﷺ until the day of judgment. That's an etern eternal miracle. Why? Because People need to believe without no more messengers. It was 1500 years ago, there will be no messengers. The Prophet ﷺ was the final messenger. It was the final religion. No other people will come and guide you to a new religion. Don't even worry about that. That's never going to happen until there. Of course, some false people will come and do that. But we're talking about in, in reality, you know, like actual religion. This is it. This is it. You know? This is it. It's so sad if you think about it. This is it. It's just us and that one miracle that was given to the Prophet ﷺ from Allah. Quran, that's how we know our religion. And it's been working perfectly because guess what? MashaAllah, more people get into Islam and why? Because how do we how do they know about Islam? It's from the sources of Islam. Quran and Sunnah mainly. You know, this is our eternal miracle. One version of the Qur'an all over the world. Not edited. Nothing. Now, some of you might ask, how do you know that it's not edited? Well, there are so many things in the Qur'an that there was no way, there is no way that the Prophet ﷺ came up with it because of the time and the place he used to live in. You know, the Prophet ﷺ was describing the empire of Rome through the Quran, so that Allah was describing it, 
the Prophet was telling it, you know, telling people what he was reading from the Quran, talking about the planets, the galaxy, talking about the process of giving birth, talking about the process of pregnancy in the Quran. Come on. 1500 years ago? Really? Nobody knew any of this. Nobody. Nobody knew any of this. So where did he get his information? Talking about Jesus Christ and all of his story. Talking about Moses and his story. Or stories for that matter. Talking about Joseph. Talking about Jonah. Talking about Adam. Peace be upon him. Talking about Noah. Talking about Abraham. In full detail. How did our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 1500 years ago, a man who lived in the Arab Peninsula in the desert, know all of this? It doesn't make sense unless it's coming from God himself. He was not a magician. He was not crazy. Everything in the Quran is perfectly balanced. And it makes a lot of sense. Or makes perfect sense. The ratio between water and land. Did you know that in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the chapter called the iron, describing where the iron came from, وَأَنزَلْنَا الْحَدِيدَ فِيهِ بَأْسٌ شَدِيدٌ وَمَتَاعٌ لِلنَّاسِ Allah said, we brought down the iron, metal. Wait a second, brought down, what do you mean brought down? Allah says, Anzalna, we brought down. You know that it was, and you can look that up, it was discovered in our recent history that iron is not actually an earthly material. It was not founded on earth, like, you know, like rocks and, and, and other materials. Iron is not actually, it's like, believe it or not, did not come from earth. And it's in the Quran 1500 years ago. And you're trying to tell me that the Quran is. Uh, Fabricated by the Prophet and his companions? Come on. You have to be so like, un like not intelligent for you to make such a claim. It, it is what it is. So, there is no way that the Prophet ﷺ fabricated the Quran because of where he lived, when he lived. There's no way he could have known all these stories in history. It's a subhanAllah, Quran is a history book, is a science book, is a math book, is a guidance book, you know, a commands book, law, book of laws. It's everything. And it's perfectly balanced. SubhanAllah. And it tells you about the future. It tells you about the day of judgment and everything that's gonna happen on the day of judgment. It actually has the day of judgment in such a vivid detail that it's subhanAllah scary sometimes. We'll get to the Day of Judgment, inshallah, in, in future episodes. But I'm just trying to tell you. This is what the Qur'an is all about. And Allah promises, promises us in the Qur'an that He would never allow a single soul to edit it. So, okay. Now, we know the Qur'an wasn't fabricated, but then... The Qur'an is being passed on to us by generation after generation. What makes us believe that not a single generation edited the Qur'an? Because Allah told us in the Qur'an, He wouldn't allow this to happen. And if 
actually this happened, you would have found version one or version two of the Quran. Because if you edit the Quran, some people will have the correct version. So now you're going to have two versions of the Quran. Ooh, which version do we believe? Allah actually promises us in the Quran that will never happen. We will never get confused about the Quran. And subhanAllah, this is unbelievable, incredibly unbelievable that until this day, we have one version of the Quran. Just version one, and that's it. You know, subhanAllah. Now, also, another thing is Quran could be memorized. So let's say tomorrow, let's say tomorrow, someone comes in and says, I'm going to burn all the Quran in the world. Someone comes in and says, I'm going to burn every last piece or book of the Quran to the ground. I'm going to burn it all up. Well, guess what? You have millions and millions of Muslims memorizing the Quran. Millions and millions of Muslims memorizing the Quran. You know? Millions. How are you going to do that? You're going to kill all of them? And they make their children memorize it and it becomes generation after generation. So it's not only in the books, it's, on, always, it's also in the hearts. And this is something you cannot take away. The Quran describes, it's basically, I, the description is, it's a life guide to the hereafter. It tells you how to survive this world to get to the hereafter safely. It's a beautiful thing that if you follow it, you're going to feel discipline in your life. Your life won't be chaos. Your life will stop not making sense. It will make perfect sense. And believe it or not, if you live by the Quran, guess what happens on the day of judgment? Allah will make the Quran transforms into a being an actual being that will speak and say, this person lived by me, oh Allah, forgive him for or forgive her for their sins. This actually will happen on a day of judgment if you lived by the Quran. Now, memorizing the Quran is not mandatory. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you that Quran is your salvation to the hereafter. It's as simple as that. Now, Another question is, okay, so we said that, that it's, it, it, the Qur'an was transmitted to us by, you know, a chain of narrations, right? People who are memorized the Qur'an generation after generation. And, you know, like they have, I think currently we have more than like, I think 30 million Muslims memorize the Qur'an. I think approximately more than 30 million Muslims from, you know, page one to the last page memorize the Qur'an, mashallah. Also, another question is, how long did it take? So, was the Qur'an revealed all at once, or did it take some time to be revealed to the Prophet Well, the answer to that is, is, is very um, obvious, or, or very known, which is the Qur'an took 23 years to be revealed, to be fully revealed to the Prophet So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal a verse or a couple of verses after a couple of verses you know like that's how it used to work and Allah would address certain situations that happens to the Prophet and that's why it took a while to be revealed because it was describing certain things it was um because um, uh, some people might say why wasn't it revealed all at once and just got it over with well because here's the thing the people before they became Muslims 
they had no religion. They were worshiping idols, right? So you can't just fully throw a book full of everything, history, medicine, uh, science, commands, and laws at them and expect them to fully follow it. That doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. They won't follow it and they're going to get frustrated. So Allah wanted to do it gradually. Take it little by little. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted, because he knows that they were not ready yet. They were not ready for the full, you know, the final revelation yet. So for example, one of the things is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, he didn't reveal right away that uh, alcohol was forbidden. Did you know that? Alcohol actually was not forbidden when, when, when the Quran was first revealed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first said that, well, alcohol has many, um, while alcohol has some benefits, but it's uh, 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 harmful or, you know, it's um, it's bad, it's bad basically outweighs the good um, and you shouldn't drink it. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you shouldn't drink alcohol while you're praying. So people started gradually, you know, cutting down alcohol because now they pray five times a day. What are they going to do? So they need to be awake. Or otherwise the prayer won't be accepted. Then eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not come near alcohol. That's it. Done. It took a while. Because Allah knew he's merciful. He knows that you can't just say, cut this thing and they will cut it right away. Because once Allah says it's forbidden, you can't do it. You can't come to back to Allah and says, well, Allah, I'm used to alcohol, but you said it's forbidden. So let me just try a little bit. You are a sinner right away if you disobey Allah's commands. And Allah knows this. And that's why because of Allah's mercy, He let it be revealed gradual. And this goes to so many things in the Quran. You know, the companions used to make mistakes and Allah would correct them in the Quran so it's more, you know, it resides more in their minds, in their hearts. You know, again, that's what it is. And the Quran, subhanAllah, so when was the Quran written? That's a good question too. When was the Quran written? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala written the Quran. Again, Allah spoke it, but he wrote it before he spoke it. By the way, this is uh, again an, uh, an information. In a place called Allah al-Mahfuz, uh, the preserved tablet. So the preserved tablet is a place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps his books or the Quran, for example. And this Lawh al-Mahfud was created 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. B basically before the creation of the existence as we know it. 50,000 years the Quran was revealed and written and put inside the preserved tablet, Lawh al-Mahfud. So what is the Lawh al-Mahfud? So for those of you who are a little bit confused, you know. Well, the preserved tablet is a place where the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is kept. Everything happens. Destiny, Quran, uh, everything, um, you know, everything regarding uh, uh, the day of judgment, uh, paradise, uh, hellfire, everything, 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 everything is written in it. And it has been written in it when 50,000 years before the creation of this existence. And Allah makes changes in it if He wishes. And I know some people will go crazy about this. Like, what do you mean Allah? Well, when we get to the, the to the topic of destiny, we will learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could change destiny for some people. But this change is also written in the preserved tablet. It's a complicated method. I don't want you to overthink it now. But yeah. 
And the preserved tablet is actually seen by angels themselves. But nobody could touch it except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All right, so when was the Quran descended and how? Well, we all know the story, or may, may, maybe many of us know the story of the Prophet ﷺ. Before he actually became a prophet, he used to sit in a cave called Ghar Hira, Hira right? H i r a a Hira, and basically uh, he would just ponder about like the creation of the world, and he believed that something was wrong because all of his people were worshiping idols. He wasn't. You know, he wasn't, and he was not, he never had, a, while all of his people used to drink alcohol and stuff, he didn't. He felt that he was just lost in this world and something was wrong with it, you know. And then one night, and that's actually how the Quran was revealed and how our Prophet ﷺ was appointed to be a prophet and a messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He saw men walking into that cave. And by the way, this cave is not easy to, you know, get into. And... The man looked like a perfect human being in terms of you know how he looked and but he also had a sharp look in his eyes and that scared our Prophet. And then the man told the Prophet read. He said the word read. Now the word read in Arabic means iqra. And iqra actually could mean one or two things. Either read something that's already written or read from the back of your mind. You know? So read means basically Recite what you memorized or recite what you're reading, what, you, what you're looking at or what's written. So just, just to clarify what read means in Arabic, right? So he said, Iqra, read. And the Prophet ﷺ, by the way, we all know that who is illiterate. So he said, I'm illiterate. I can't, I can't read. Read what? What do you want me to read? And then he said it again, read in a very sharp tone. And the Prophet ﷺ scared, got scared. And then he said, I can't read. I'm illiterate, man. What do, you, what do you want me to do? Then Gabriel says, read. And then he grabs his hand. And the Prophet felt like it was an unnatural force that grabbed his hand. And then he squeezed it. And then Gabriel said, And we have this whole chapter. And that was the first chapter that was revealed to the Prophet The chapter of Al-Alaq. Um, and... Basically, he was telling him, read by the name of your Lord who created everything, uh, created mankind from nothing, you know, from like a sperm and, and all, so on. Then this guy disappeared. And our Prophet ﷺ was left confused. He ran to his wife Khadija um, at the time, and he was just so scared, and he kept telling her, please cover me up, I'm shivering, I just had a very unnatural or supernatural experience, I don't know what happened to me, and he told her what was going on, and basically she was the first human being or person ever to support him and tell him, don't worry, you're a good person. God, and they had the concept of God, but again, the, 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 the villagers were used to worship idols to get to God, uh, will never do anything harmful to you because you are always been good to your people, you're never arrogant, you know, and so on. That's the first time. Then Gabriel shows up again in his true form as an angel, and he freaks out the Prophet Wasallam. And again, he starts telling him, uh, uh, reciting Surah Al-Muzammil, and that was actually the second thing that was revealed 
يا ايها المزمل قم الليل يا ايها المدثر ما بعد سوره المدثر the chapter of mudathir ya ayyuhal mudathir qum fa anzir wa rabbaka fa kabbir wa thiyabaka fa tahhir so the, basically he's basically gabriel when he showed up in the second time or for the second time in his true form he basically told the prophet sallam hey all right this is it you're a prophet now go do your job clean up your heart and clean up your clothes and you're going to have a very difficult time with your people but that was the task that has been given to you or assigned to you and you better do it right and that's how the Quran was revealed. That's the circumstances that the Quran was first revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Again, we said that the Quran wasn't revealed all at once because Allah was gradually helping the companions and the Prophet sallallahu It was a continuous steadfastness to the. By the way, the Quran, when the Quran was stopped to be revealed, this is when the Prophet sallallahu was literally about to die. So. By the death of the Prophet ﷺ, the revelation has stopped. And that's why we say there will be no more revelation from God. This is it. This is the end. You know, subhanAllah, it's just amazing how um, things work. And amazing how, you know, um, we still have our guidance. But like, it, imagine that you were one of these companions. And if you did something wrong, the Prophet, the messenger who talked to Allah directly, will come and correct you and say, well, Allah says this. Oh, Allah says that. You know, one of the things that gives me goosebumps is one time after the Prophet ﷺ now became familiar with him being a prophet and he st- spoke directly to Angel Gabriel. One time, Angel Gabriel walked into the house of the Prophet ﷺ where Khadija lived. And guess what? He looked at Khadija. He, it was in his, his, his human form, by the way. He didn't show Khadija his true form. In his human form, but she knew that he was a messenger. He was the Angel Gabriel. And then he told Khadija, Allah sends his blessings. Salam. You know when Muslims say salam, salam alaikum, salam, peace be upon you. That's basically what it is. So uh, Allah sends his salam, his peace upon you. Imagine this, guys. God himself is sending you his salam. It's amazing. Um, and then she responds and says, Allah Himself is the salam. Allah Himself is peace. You cannot send peace to Allah because He is peace. And then she says, And peace be upon you, Gabriel, and peace be upon the Prophet of Allah, Sayyidina Muhammad. Now, also, the conditions that the Quran was revealed were kind of like also more of a supernatural condition. So, for example, when Gabriel would bring a couple of verses to the Prophet ﷺ to reveal it to him, if the Prophet ﷺ, for example, was writing, and this hap- used to happen no matter where the Prophet was. So like, for example, sometimes he'd be riding his camel, and then literally the camel would just stop, and then the Prophet ﷺ will kind of faint, go into this like different dimension. This is actually reported by all the companions. And then he would f- get so sweaty, and like you could tell something unnatural is happening to him. And then the camel would literally just drop. The camel would just sit down from the power of the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you believe this? This actually physically how it used to happen. Also, on the coldest day, the companions would report. Then all of a sudden, the Prophet would just faint, go into a different dimension zone. 
and he would be sweating and they wouldn't can't even comprehend it they're all like wrapped in their like you know uh, you know heavy clothes and whatever but the prophet is sweating like crazy and this is all because of the revelation of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one time a companion reported that the prophet you know was leaning on him and then it happened like this whole revelation process happened and the Prophet ﷺ grabbed into his leg so hard that the that companion felt that his leg was going to be ripped off. He's like, that was not a human force. That was not a human strength that grabbed my leg. Like, subhanAllah, it's unbelievable. These were some of the conditions where the revelation used to happen. And it used to happen in front of the companions, but you, just, you wouldn't see it. But they could totally see the signs of it. Now, also there were usual conditions so like there were natural conditions where for example uh, angel gabriel or gabriel would take a human form and would go straight up to the prophet uh, as actually one of his companions who who by so angel gabriel would take the form of one of the companions of the prophet by the name of dihya al-kalbi and literally because the companion was a handsome looking guy angels when they take the forms of humans they take the forms of the best looking humans ever and used to just go and reveal the stuff to the Prophet ﷺ. Now, reveal the, you know, give the revelation to the Prophet ﷺ. And now, some of you might say, so when is this happen and when does this happen? When is it natural? When is it unnatural? Well, we don't know exactly. It depends on whatever the situation is. We don't know. Like, there is no specific indication or like a standard or, you know, a pinpoint. Uh, when is it natural and when is it like unnatural, you know? And then they would go recite the Quran with the Prophet ﷺ, explain what needs to be explained, and that's that basically was, you know, about it. Um, now, for example, we talked about this whole alcohol thing, and we talked about when we said the Quran addressed certain things, and that's why it took so long to be revealed. Uh, so alcohol was one of the things that the Quran has addressed. You know, and the second thing that was addressed probably was the Hajj, you know, pilgrimage. And, you know, when, when Muslims were kicked out of their homes and the time for them to, you know, fight back for their homes uh, come, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, revealed the Quran to them and told them, now it's the time for you to take the battles to them, those who kicked you out of your, you know, your homes. And uh, in the, like the, the chapter was chapter this actually also Allah shows you that Allah was addressing certain situations using the Quran and for people to learn from it and unlike what um, people who have a huge misconception about Islam say that the Quran is filled with animosity and, and fights and battles and killing. Actually, this is the opposite of the truth. And I remember I covered this in, in, in previous episodes where if you want to compare Bible and Quran, you'll see that the Old Testament, the New Testament has way more killing and, and, and massacring and all these things more than Quran. But it's it's not about that. It's about the context. If the context is war that was already happening, this isn't, that doesn't mean that the Quran is telling you or Allah is telling you through the Quran, go to war all the time with the quote-unquote infidels. Or No, the Quran actually is a tool for peace, for people to find peace. So how can a tool for people to find inner peace be also a tool for war? Unless those who are using it are using it based on their own agenda, manipulating the text based on their own agenda, you know. You could manipulate any text and take it out of context and I can make it, you know, like for example, I'll give you this example. 
I grabbed my little daughter and I threw her away. Now, you tell this to someone who thinks I'm a bad person, what? They'll be like, yeah, look how brutal he is with his daughter. He grabbed her and, you know, he threw her away. Like, he's aggressive. He's an aggressive father. But then if I tell you, well, no, that was not the case. I grabbed my daughter because we were playing and I threw her on like, you know, a trampoline or something. So, you know, or like a bouncy house so she could have more fun or, you know, that's something that made her happy. Then there is a context to that text. And in order for us to understand the Quran fully, we have to understand it through the lens of our Prophet through the Sunnah. And that's what makes the second source of the Islam incredibly important. The Sunnah. Because the Sunnah explains certain things in the Quran that might not be, you know, very explicit to many people, you know, because Allah revealed both Quran and Sunnah. So what is the difference if Allah revealed the Sunnah? Why do we attribute it to the Prophet? No, 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 no. The Sunnah is basically the way of the Prophet. The hadith that the Prophet tells us, that, that's the, the, the text from the Prophet, it's actually something that Allah has revealed, but left the wording to the Prophet. Again, the difference between the hadith and the authentic hadith, of course, and the Quran is that the Quran is a fully speech of Allah. The same way Allah said it, the same way we're reading it right now in the Quran. But the hadith is also revelation by Allah. Their information and the commands in the hadith comes from Allah. Except the wording, how it is said, is left to the Prophet ﷺ to pick his own words, to choose his own words. Because Allah trusts him. Why did Allah make it two? Why did Allah make two sources of the of the religion like that? Why did Allah make the Sunnah also as a second source? Why didn't Allah subhanahu wa taala make it only the Quran? Because Allah subhanahu wa taala wanted us to follow the Prophet ﷺ and not ignore his ways. Because that was the way to get to paradise. The path to paradise is to follow the sunnah of the Prophet and follow the Quran, not just to follow the Quran. There are, there are many groups out there who just think that Quran is the thing, but this is very inaccurate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this on purpose, made the second source is the sunnah on purpose. So we follow the Prophet, we do not ignore his ways, because that's not the way. And inshallah, next episode we will talk about the sunnah and address some of the questions that we were that I was asked via email. And again, thank you so much for email, emailing me and thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.